rest. A month of rest. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It's not really, is it? Feel any more rested (laughs) than you were? In answering the question, what does it mean to rest? We've looked at just four glimpses of what can take a lifetime to actually perfect. And I've been saying that in these first two verses of Hebrews chapter 8, so turn there, we find a framework for understanding spiritual rest. The point of what we're saying is this, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, Set up by the Lord, not by man. Four glimpses. Spiritual submission, first of all. We have a high priest. And this is always a challenge for our self-sufficient hearts. The starting point is a spiritual starting point. What it takes to get rest. Rest doesn't start with nothing. It starts with something, and that something is painful, it's costly. What it takes to get rest is sacrifice, and it's His sacrifice, not ours. It had to start with Him. We were lost in our sin. We must realize our problem, first of all, and then recognize the celebration of this rest that is ours, the soul work, really, that takes place in this passage. We can rest because He did so we will. But it begins with Him. And we must respond to that invitation of His to have this spiritual rest for your souls. No physical, emotional, occupational rest will ever come until our souls have found their resting place in God and God alone. So first of all, There's this spiritual submission. But then secondly, we talked about a a physical practice of stopping. We have the high priest. He did it. We trust that. We receive the spiritual rest for our souls. And then this high priest sat down. There was a physical practice of rhythm, celebration, satisfaction, quiet. And that's always a challenge to our busy lives. Making that happen. What do we do at rest? There is sitting once we find spiritual rest. And I asked you to practice that sitting. To stop and create a rhythm. Like my phone has to be charged every day. We've got to stop. Create a rhythm and a practice and a celebration of what God has done for us. And you don't appreciate it unless you stop long enough to look at it. And not just to stop anywhere because you do that, that's just meditation. You stop here. You pick a place. You create an association of a a place with the one with whom you are meeting. Now that's just a practical suggestion. You wouldn't have to, but there's something about that place that you create. Like my razor. It can only be charged in one way. There's just one place that that happens. Pick a place. Return to it. And it's not just about the location, but the identity with that person. Stop here. And then stop for. This isn't just about what you receive, but actually it's an act of praise to Him. And we saw this lived out in Christ's example. In practicing that rhythm, He found not only power from the Father, 
to be recharged, but praise to him for all he was doing. And there was this interaction. And in that we find the rejuvenation, the recreation of ourselves as we stop for that purpose. And as Hebrews 4.9 says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. I don't want to turn that into a legalistic thing because we've messed it up all the way along, societally, uh, religiously, evangelically. But there remains a Sabbath rest. Work it out. Find a way. Don't turn it into a bunch of rules and regulations. But neglect it, and you neglect it at your own peril. So the physical practice. Then, as I said to you last week, there is an and. There's an inclusive service, and this challenges our choices. Rest isn't just sitting. There's an order to be followed. First of all, the spiritual one that I said has to be accomplished. Then the practice that has to be established. You get the oxygen. You're you're now getting that rejuvenation. But then there's more. And I asked you to practice sitting because practice implies a preparation for action, for the game, for the battle, for engagement. Could it be that we don't get to and who serves? Number three, because we aren't practicing number two. And I think there's truth to that. Instead, what do we do with this rest that we receive? Could it be because, or if we did practice number two, we would be more empowered, rejuvenated, refreshed, and capable of stepping into greater service? In the progression of rest, we find a reordering of our priorities that we're giving ourselves to what truly matters. And this is definitely taking our Christian lives and our walks to a whole nother level. If we start to really pursue what it means to rest in Him and then serve as He did, oh man, life really starts to change. We can say, well, wait a minute, where did all the rest go? You know, you gave me a few minutes, you got me spiritually lined up, you got me, gave me a chance to, to do this. Now, all of a sudden, all my rest is going to be gone because you're asking me to serve. <laughs> no one served more than Jesus Christ. Right? And he practiced the rhythm and the celebration and the stopping. But he also served What all this means is a a lot of life changing that needs to take place. It's time to move beyond the end. Sitting so we can best serve. Making the choices between the good and the best. The important and the essential. The valuable and the absolutely indispensable. Because all of us do things that we think are important and they're good They're valuable, but are they the best? Are they essential? Are they absolutely indispensable? Time's short. We've got to make those kinds of choices. And that is a practice that has to be refined over a lifetime. So maybe some of this is new to you. 
And if it is, well, if you don't understand what spiritual rest is, you haven't gotten number one yet, that's why this church exists. It's why we, by practice, always have people available after our service down front here. Or we're just a phone call away. We'd love to help you understand what that is, to truly find spiritual rest. Like many here have found, that it doesn't begin with us. It all began with Him first. We'd love to talk to you about that. You can't get to these others unless you got that down. Many of us have understood that. But we haven't gotten to number two. We aren't practicing that real well. And, and our lives are just filled with all kinds of... And we, we haven't stopped. We haven't created the rhythm and the practice. So maybe we've got to start to really apply that and get after it. Don't delay But for many of us, we get these ideas. We know, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before, but we haven't perfected it yet. Well, we've got to take it to the next level. We've got to get our acts together on number two and start making the tough choices. Accepting the and who serves and move beyond it into service, which means making the kind of choices that I'm talking about. The best. The essential. The indispensable. Now today is our last week on rest, but it can't be the last time we talk about this. So let's make this biblical rest last. Making rest last is a challenge to apply. Two ways that we can do that. By first of all, understanding what this service thing is about that I've challenged you so directly on. And and this offers a durable motivation, and I'll explain that. And then also applying a structure. And I think that maybe that'll help us with offering a lasting system. So this is what we do to stay rested. First of all, we understand what this service is about, okay? The phrase says in in the last part of verse 2, who serves in the true tabernacle. A durable motivation. Let's understand what this service is about. There's two kinds of service that I'm talking about here. The first is His service, done at His expense. And that's what we see in chapter 8, verse 2. And who serves. This is the Lord. Now, allow me to read verses 11 and 12 of chapter 9. Okay? Chapter 9 of Hebrews. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, obviously... Not an earthly temple, tabernacle. Not the blood of goats and calves. His own blood in the eternal tabernacle. That which is in heaven. Only he could do this and he did it. That's number one. The spiritual rest that he gives us. Because he accomplished it. Now what was here on earth was simply a symbol of all that was to come. It was this promise looking forward to what was going to be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. What man did was only a symbol of what was coming. The word serve here bears that out. This Greek word, the turgos, speaks of a public servant. 
One commentator explains, denoted among the Greeks, firstly, one who discharged a public office, office, a public office at his own expense. This is fascinating. And we see this as it, this word is used in the New Testament. Here, Christ in the sanctuary, uh, offering a public service, that is a service to others at his own expense. Um, in Romans 15, it's used again, where Paul, on behalf of God, performs, performs a, a priestly duty, this service that God has accomplished, it says. And then, even speaking of the ministry of uh, Epaphrodites, he was a, a servant that was sent uh, on behalf of the people in Philippi to Paul, who was in prison. And, and there it's used again, because this was a service done at, at their expense. By the very nature of this public service, It's meant that he did this for others, that he did it at his own expense. Now notice verse 14 of chapter 9. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences. His blood, his expense, serving us, cleansing our consciences. It just said the verse before that these blood and goats, their blood couldn't cleanse our consciences. Only Christ could do that. So, thus, chapter 8, verse 2, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Now, here's the implication. You can't serve this way. I said there's two kinds of service. This kind of service you can't do. Only he can do. Relieved? Good. You ought to be. Does that mean you don't have to serve? Uh, No. Uh, Of course not. There's an and, right? Then there's our service. Our response. Look at the last part of verse 14 that I just read, right? His blood cleanses our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Different word. Not the same word. This Greek word means primarily work for hire. It means to worship. It means to serve or in service specifically to God. And again, in the New Testament, this is borne out. The two times that Jesus is, uh, it's recorded that Jesus is tempted by Satan, this word is used. And the Lord answers, of course, using scripture to uh, counter Satan's temptation. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship and serve. Connected. In Luke chapter 1, where Zechariah sees, remember he was the old man that was promised, uh, given the promise that he would see the Messiah before he died? And as he responds to that, he prophesies after seeing the Christ. And it's a prophecy of praise and worship in which he says, He has come to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. And then Romans 12, verse Uh, One, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, or another translation says, a service of worship. You see, the point is, this is a service in response. His service, his expense, our service, our response. Well, what's the difference between these two? A slave by obligation or a servant by choice. A slave by obligation or a servant by choice. There's a beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 21. 
there, uh, there is an instruction for the people of Israel that uh, they can, they, it was understood and it was used in that culture that people would be slaves. If they didn't have the money, they would like indentured servants. They would give themselves to others uh, to be their slaves so that they would be provided for. After seven years, all slaves were to be freed, allowed to go free. But Exodus 21 explains that if a servant found himself in a situation in which he wanted to remain, and it says, and he declares, I love my master and my wife and my children, and I do not want to go free, then the master would take him and bring him near a post and take his ear, and with an awl he would pierce his ear as a sign that he was forever a servant by choice, not a slave by obligation. Beautiful picture, isn't it? The ear piercing was a sign that they would see that I have chosen this master to be my master forever. When you know how much you've been blessed, you serve out of gratitude, not obligation. And this is about ownership, both him of me, because he purchased me, but also of myself and my place, because I'm so grateful to him for what he's done. And is that not the picture of a true servant of Christ, right? And so we see this contrast, his service, his expense, Our service, our response. He pays for it, we respond to it. His role as God, our role as purchased servants. His act that is worthy, our response in worship. This is cosmic, it takes place in heaven. And this is connected to the cosmic here on earth. In fact, I haven't got time, but uh, every time that uh, this word is used, again, this word of service and worship, it's connected to the cosmic all through the New Testament, the eternal. He did this for us. We do the same to others for Him. This is, this service is God's work. And it's where God's heart is. Being public servants for the people. He did this so that we might respond in serving Him through others. Just like He served His Father by serving us. Now. Why do I mention this? Because I think biblical rest can last when your motivation is clear. You understand who it is you're serving. As Paul puts it in Colossians. Now listen to these verses through this filter. Whatever you do, service. In word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God. There's this grateful servant. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for man. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. If you understand your motivation, that you're not doing this for whatever benefit you receive, or even primarily what that person receives, but because you're grateful for all God's done for you, that you want to do for others. You heard that before? 
Imagine you have. But when you see it lived out, it's a powerful thing, isn't it? I met two people in October 1982 that I will never forget. I met both of them in Trumbull, Connecticut. One of those was Ken Spence. For those of you who don't know, Ken Spence was the previous senior pastor here. The man who wouldn't hire me. Some of you know this story. But prior to October of 1982 in Trumbull, Connecticut, I had sent my gleaming resume, coming right out of college, to Ken, who was the pastor of another church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I desperately wanted to be his youth pastor. I got a lovely, gracious, polite, diplomatic, but direct, dear John letter. I find myself in Trumbull, Connecticut in October, having found another position in this particular district, and uh, went to that conference, didn't have a car, uh, was assigned to someone else who had a car to go to where we were going to stay, find myself in an elevator with this person, and it's Ken Spence. <laughs> and me and my big mouth said, oh, but you don't know who I am. <laughs> and he said, oh, I know exactly who you are. <laughs> He didn't say it, but it, you know, it was kind of like it was implicit. I wrote the letter and I meant it. You know. So, little laugh there, and uh, I tease him to this day about that, right? Um, but I met somebody else at that conference. His name is David McIntyre. He's a few years older than I, just not many, but we were both youth pastors. I was new and young at this, and uh, and I, I really hit it off with Dave. And um, kind of looked up to him. And we had a lot in common. And um, we became friends, as it were. It was distant. Um, over the years, I followed him, like I said, from a distance. I know some people in that church. And so I heard about how things were going. When their senior pastor retired not long uh, after, uh, just a few years later, that church had the foresight to ask him to become their senior pastor. Pretty young, very capable, Good for their future. Wednesday, Craig Weant, who will be with us next week preaching in this church, one of our missionaries in Brazil, bases himself when he's in the States up there at Trumbull, Connecticut. He sends out a, a, uh, um, uh, an update on a regular basis. And I try and read all of our missionaries' updates. And so I opened Craig's and uh, you know, heard about what was going on with him and few little words that hit me like a ton of bricks. Sad to hear of Dave McIntyre's passing. My word. 59 years old. I used to think that was old. It's not so old anymore. Oh my goodness, I googled it right away. Apparently he'd been struggling with cancer for some time. Tuesday morning, he passed away. Providentially, the Lord had me in Connecticut yesterday, believe it or not. So after I was done with that obligation, I quickly drove up to the memorial service. It was an amazing tribute to a servant shepherd 
What motivation can keep a person effectively rested, serving in the same place for 33 years? Think about it. He could have aspired to any number of other things. In fact, it was interesting. One of his associates who was speaking said he decided not to pursue his doctorate because he, was, he felt like it was, and he really wanted it, but it would compromise his shepherding of his people. What keeps a person motivated and rested for 33 years in the same place? A pierced ear. Now, now I'm going to get in trouble with this because every young person here is going to want to go, you know, but that's all right. They're up in Oasis. You know, a bunch of people are going to want to go pierce their ears. Uh, I'll just balance this out a little bit. Um, I'm on an ordination council and uh, there was a guy who recently uh, went through that and he has a pierced ear and somebody said to him, is that significant of Exodus 21? He said, I wish I could say so, but it's not. So anyway, if you want to do it for that reason, the Dave didn't have any literal pierced ear, but he had a spiritually pierced ear that said, I declare, I love my master and I want to do like he did for me, serve him through serving others. You see, that kind of service is a durable motivation. You can really remain rested in God for all of your years. doesn't mean we don't get tired. It's just a different kind of tired, isn't it? Because our motivation is beyond ourselves. And even the ones we serve to the ultimate one we serve from whom we receive our reward. So, understand service. That's a durable motivation when you understand what it really is. And it can last a lifetime and beyond. But let me give you one other, too. And that would be applying a structure. This offers a lasting system. Now I'd like to read the first ten verses of chapter nine. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were a lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. The ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of his people, the, the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was standing. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper 
They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new order. So, as we read these verses, this is all symbolic. It's a picture of what was to come. It's ineffective in cleansing our consciences. It was just a precursor to all that was going to be truly fulfilled in Christ, as we've mentioned, just a picture of what was to come. But it did serve a purpose in helping people see what was going to happen. Perhaps it still can. In our personal service of worship, the last phrase there said, until the time of a new order. Well, what about now in the new order? And this is just a mental image I want to put in your head that might help us with practicing a... um, a structure that might be a lasting system. You see, the the tabernacle had four major areas. The most holy place, right? That was where the Ark of the Covenant was. Access only uh, to the high priest and only once a year. And you remember my rope going back into the most holy place back there? Let's call that backstage the most holy place. Now, um, we'll just call that backstage, right? So that's the most holy place. And then we have the holy place, and this is where the priests offered worship here and sacrifices and offerings. Let's call that the stage, this area here. And and those that come to serve you here offer praise and lead you in praise from this place, right? Offering to God the worthiness that we express in song and prayer and so on. And then there's the, the courtyard of the Jews, And uh, we'll call that the sanctuary. That's where we all come as brothers and sisters in Christ to come and to worship. Um, That was divided into two parts, actually, back then. There was a a part for the men and there was a part for the women. Now, we don't do that here, but we do divide it between the upper group and the lower group. Oh, I got a thumbs up. So, so one thinks the upper group is the upper group, and the lower group is the lower group. I don't know. The Lord said, "Lo, I am with you always." So I don't know whether you guys, you know. Anyway, you know, we got these. I, you know, no significance there. Okay, the sanctuary. We all come here. So there was the inner room, right? This special place that was a symbol of the presence of God. And, and then another area in which you worship and give honor to him. And, and then there's the sanctuary where we gather as brothers and sisters uh, together. And then there was the court of the Gentiles. Now, that could be the rest of the building. It could be the rest of our community. Because it was called the court of the Gentiles. Now, this was a Jewish symbol of worship. Yet God even then had a place to invite all peoples. It was meant to be a place for everyone. It was the symbol of God's heart for the world. And it's why we find Jesus so incredibly angry at the fact that the court of the Gentiles was filled with money changers and dove salesmen and sacrifice vendors. And why is that? Because... I mean, they were just offering them a service because they were going to come and worship and give sacrifices because they filled the court of the Gentiles that wouldn't allow those people in. And they were excluded because all the place for them was filled up with stuff. That's why he gets so angry and turned the tables over. 
and said, this house is to be a house of prayer. Interesting, isn't it? Now, what if that symbol, this, these areas, this image in your mind, couldn't help us with um, a structure for keeping our priorities and this rest that we're supposed to live in? Kind of a representative of, of my spiritual behavior and practices built on these areas. First of all, the most holy place. Serve the Lord in devotion. He gets that spot. It's all about priority and preference. Now, the great thing we have is on this side of the cross, uh, that holy place isn't accessible just to the high priest and just once a year. It was torn from the top to the bottom. It's open to everyone. So how often do you go there? To that most holy place. Now we're back to stop here. Remember? So use it. I don't mean it to be inaccessible. I mean it to be that special place that you have where God gets the ultimate priority, preference, the place I stop and I rest every day. The most holy place. And then the holy place where I serve the Lord in worship. He gets this much. You see, He gets that spot, but then He gets this much. It's all about worship, giving to Him what He's worth, rendering to Him all that I have, all that I am, all that I do. Because I want to worship Him. This is responsive service. This is the, the willing servant instead of an obligatory slave. Then there's the courtyard of the Jews, of us, the body. Here we serve each other. We get that we're in this together. My relationship with God is so much more than individual. It's personal, but that doesn't make it exclusive. It's implicitly connected with others in relationship. And it matters that I'm here with other people. They matter, and I need to care for them and serve them. So then the courtyard there of of the Jews. So the most holy place, he gets that spot. The the holy place, he gets that much. The courtyard of, of us... We get that we're in this together. And then the courtyard of the Gentiles. Here we serve in acceptance. We get that we're not in this alone. That my heart for God is reflected in His heart for all that He loves and cares for. I'm privileged to know Him, but I'm no better because I am loved by Him or known by Him. I'm a part of the body that exists to draw in all those that want the same love. It's my privilege to show that same acceptance that I've received to those that have yet to receive it. How does this keep me rested? It brings order out of my chaos. It puts things in proper order, right? That he gets that spot. And he's more important than anybody. And every day I stop there. And then all day I worship here. Everything I do, I do because I want to bring him honor and glory. And he gets that much. And then I get that I'm in this together with others. My brothers and sisters. And I'm supposed to be caring for them and loving them and knowing them and serving them. And then I get that even all of us aren't in this alone. 
But there's a court of the Gentiles. And that's our community. And He wants us to be offering that same kind of loving acceptance that we received in forgiveness to all of those who desperately need that. That gives order out of my chaos. It it brings focus to your priorities. And you follow them from the inside out. And you find freedom out of what is of ultimate value. I know what I answer for. Keeping those four things in their proper place and in their proper balance. And I can decide based on what's eternal, not what's temporal. And that helps us with the tough decisions of the good or the best, the valuable or the essential, the the worthy things and the indispensable things. So as we finish this concept of rest, let's not lose it. It can last. And it can last if we understand service the proper motivation. It's a durable motivation because it's not about what I can accomplish or even what I do for somebody else. It's about the ultimate one I answer to. And that truly can be lived out. For example, for 33 years in the same place and to see hundreds of people there yesterday broken by the loss, but praising God For the faithfulness of one who was able to continue in the rest of what God had called him to do. Let your motivation be Him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God, the Father, through Him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working unto the Lord, not men, since you know that what you will receive is an inheritance from the Lord is your reward. The Lord Christ is the one you're serving. And then let your mind be directed by Him. Apply a structure that offers this lasting system. The most holy place, He gets that spot. There's nobody more important in my life than Him. And He gets this much. I want to worship Him in all that I do. And I get that I'm in this together with others that I love and care for and must know and serve. And I get that even us, we're not in this alone. Our court of the Gentiles starts at the door and goes throughout the world. It's why we start to celebrate next week this highlight of our year of what we're doing around the world through these people. But it also begins right across the street, the desk, the aisle, the workplace, wherever you find yourself. What kind of willing acceptance and forgiveness do we offer to those who have yet to find what we so freely received in Christ Jesus? How does this keep me rested? It makes order out of chaos. It gives focus to my priorities and it gives me the freedom to know what is of ultimate value. There are two kinds of tired. One is exhausting. And if you're exhausted, it means you're pouring yourself into what is meaningless. 
but the other is exhilarating. And you may drop dead at the end of the day, but you're exhilarated because what you're doing is meaningful. Because you know it holds reward. And you know it's directly tied to that which lasts forever. In this, there is true rest. Let's pray. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your Son and the example that he set. Often, if not always, weary at the end of the day. But no doubt, exhilarated. Because what he did, he did for you. And all that he did in his perfection was of eternal value. We know we will never be perfect. But move us from being exhausted to exhilarated, to living the rest that you've given us through true priorities, through the eternal. We'll give you the glory and we look forward to what you're going to do in deepening our walk with you and enriching our worship to you and building our relationship together with you and reaching our community and our world for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.